Welcome to Automation Chat. I'm your host, Teresa Hauk, Executive Editor of the Journal from Rockwell Automation and our partner network magazine. The ransomware attack that shut down Colonial Pipeline on May 7, 2021 is considered the most impactful cyber attack against U.S. critical infrastructure. That pipeline delivers nearly half of the diesel and gasoline consumed on the east coast of the United States, and the cyber attack disrupted life around the U.S. because it had a ripple effect in the supply chain of the energy market. But there are many cyber attacks on infrastructure and manufacturing facilities that we don't hear about in the headlines, but which are devastating to facilities and even to human life. So today, I'm joined by Grant Geyer. He's Chief Product Officer at Clarity, a leading industrial cybersecurity firm and a Rockwell Automation digital partner. We talk about what happened with the Colonial Pipeline breach and its far-reaching impact. We talk about some of the questions we should be asking about it, how the ransomware attack penetrated the converged IT-OT environment, what you can learn from this incident to better fortify your networks, and a whole lot more. But first, it's time for our family-friendly, silly joke of the day. Ah, here's a sports joke. What's the best way to hold a bat? By its wings, but you really shouldn't hold the bat. Oh, I know that was bad. All right, it's time to start our chat. Hi, Grant. Welcome to Automation Chat, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Teresa. So the ransomware attack that shut down Colonial Pipeline on May 7th was really bad, and it's considered the most impactful cyber attack against U.S. critical infrastructure to date. So it's good that we're talking about that today. Let's start by summarizing what happened with that Colonial Pipeline break. Yeah, so uh, a piece of ransomware, which in essence is malicious code that's used to seize up computers, Uh, found its way into Colonial Pipeline's IT environment. And what the firm reported that as a precaution when they brought in experts, incident response experts to help understand the attack and the uh, potential impact of the attack, Colonial said that they had also shut down parts of their OT environment that stopped the transmission of fuel to the whole East Coast of the United States. Now, Look, I've been around the block years in cyber, uh, and I've seen lots of different attacks on the IT side of the environment. But as far as I can remember, this is one of the most impactful attacks that where something that happened in the cyber world impacted what's happening in the physical world. So that has led to the pipelines being shut down, which has led to gasoline shortages, Uh, Many gasoline stations were flooded by people who were trying to hoard gasoline and get their tanks filled. And ultimately, uh, the prices have skyrocketed as a result. And so this is one of the first events that I think about. uh, It impacts the company itself. It impacts other businesses because of the supply chain of fuel. Uh, It impacts consumers in terms of uh, my wallet and the cost of fuel. And therefore, it's becoming of critical concern to the U.S. government uh, from a supply chain perspective and a critical infrastructure perspective. So that's like the impact of it. Now, if I delve a little bit into the technical side of it, um, this is what is known as a uh, not just a ransomware attack, but a targeted ransomware attack. There's a group known as DarkSide that tries to legitimize itself with like pseudo, by appearing like a pseudo legitimate business. But the reality is that this is a criminal gang that allegedly operates outside of the um, Eastern Bloc countries. They've only attacked US speaking countries, have not attacked any any uh, Russian or or Bloc or Soviet Bloc companies. And what they do is they, they figure out a target that they want to go after. 
intimidate the target. They will put ransomware on their machines. And before locking up the systems, they'll actually steal the data, right? And the thought process here is that if a company has a good backup or recovery program in place and they can restore the data, they still have seized that data and can release it uh, bit by bit onto the internet, in essence, to continue to raise the stakes around the release of sensitive information. So it's it's a pretty lethal attack that's that's going on. And uh, I think that the one of the more interesting things, as well as uh, maybe one of the more controversial things, is that Colonial Pipeline paid the ransom reportedly uh, for just under five million dollars to ensure that they were that their data was not released and the systems were freed up. But the the net of it is that now gasoline's flowing. Uh, but I think it is is really. Uh, shaken uh, a lot of people, both in government and the private sector, as to the potential impact of cyber attacks to critical infrastructure. Yeah, and the potential is enormous. And you know what I've always wondered, and I've talked to people in the industry who've wondered, once you pay that ransom, what stops them from coming back and asking for more? Well, I, th- I think that's that's exactly right. I think the there's real concern uh, from, you know, I think that organizations are in a quandary here. It's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Right. If you don't pay the ransom and you don't have a good recovery program in place, uh, it may be an ex- it may be may take even longer to get your systems back online and fuel flowing again. If you do pay the ransom, the worry is that that the uh, the the gang is succeeding in in their goal and that it uh, creates more. Uh, Uh, opportunities for other uh, criminal gangs to leverage either the same piece of ransomware or create new ransomware. So in essence, you're incentivizing the growth of a criminal market to occur. That's a nightmare. So the infrastructure is really an easy target. For example, another high profile one was in uh, February for the Oldsmar Florida water treatment facility. Can you tell us about what happened there? Yeah. So this is, you know, I think an Really interesting case, right, that a small water utility that leveraged uh, a third-party tool for remote access uh, called TeamViewer was all of a sudden connected to by uh, by someone outside of the environment. And an, an asset operator noticed that water levels were changing from 100 parts per million of lye in the drinking water to over 11,000 parts per million. And that is a lethal amount for consumers. Now, initially, the operator thought it was uh, a mistake or thought someone he was being tested and he fixed it. And then it happened again. He literally saw the cursor moving across uh, his screen and saw the levels being changed. And so... I think what this demonstrates is a a few different points. One is how important it is to engage your asset, the asset operators as the first line of defense. Now, what do I mean by this? Think about for years as as IT uh, users, we've been told, don't click on suspicious links. Don't open attachments if you don't know who the email is from. And we've been we've been trained and accustomed to have that degree of security skepticism and security awareness. Now, if you take that analogy of what is we that we are as IT users, the first line of defense, because if we do a good job of maintaining cyber hygiene, the security teams and the risk and compliance teams don't have to or can focus on the things that get through the safety nets. Now. Uh, I think that analogy really needs to be applied to the world of industrial control systems and OT environments, where we saw in case here in Oldsmart is that the asset operator did exactly what he was supposed to. He operated like the first line of defense. And I think that's a challenge in a lot of critical infrastructure organizations is that uh, they tend to have more technology obsolescence 
than their peers in IT. They tend not to be as cyber savvy and, and patching isn't as easy to do, right? So I think it's really, really important that uh, organizations become cyber aware to help protect their organization and protect the citizenry of the, of the United States. So I think that's kind of a really important first lesson learned. The second is that a lot of times we think about attackers as thing as, as uh, we think about cyber attacks that will come in from the IT side of the network and then go through the ITOT bridge to try to compromise OT assets. And this was a case where because of the need for remote connectivity, especially during the time of the pandemic, it provided a critical access for remote attackers. Now with Clarity, we saw from a research we conducted, 80% of asset owner operators we talked to saw that more attacks were happening in, in different and sophisticated ways, such as attacking VPNs. So again, it's a different way into the environment than what we've seen in a lot of OT attacks historically. The third point, and I think this is something we can all learn from, is how great it was that the uh, Oldsmore Water Treatment Plant actively was, was transparent and actively shared what had happened to them with uh, law enforcement and the community at large. And this provides an opportunity for other utilities out there to do what I would call a tabletop exercise or um, a, a runbook exercise to see if this happened to us, are we at risk? How would we react? Uh, and, and how should we think about risk, uh, a cyber risk is in the same way that we think about liquidity risk or financial risk or environmental risk. So I think there's a number of key points here, but I think again, another stunning example of how there's potential risk to citizenry uh, and, the, and, and the public if cyber is cybersecurity defenses are not properly thought through and maintained uh, by a water utility. Has it been your experience that organizations, whether it's a public utility or a private like manufacturing firm, takes cybersecurity more seriously if it's going to affect the public rather than their own organization? You know, um, it's a complex challenge because I, I think that there's an inherent awareness that in critical infrastructure, there's, you know, whether it's impacting power to hospitals or uh, life-saving equipment or fuel that, that keeps business running. I think that there's a certainly an overarching understanding about the critical nature of infrastructure to continue running to support the needs of the population. And along those lines, the number one care that every industrial organization has is, is around safety. So I think the overarching understanding is there of, of that being an imperative what I think is missed sometimes in many cases is how does that imperative translate into what specifically needs to be done in terms of understanding what the cyber risk level is? What is the organization's risk tolerance from a cyber event? What are the potential impacts? Uh, what compensating controls does the organization have in place in case there were to be an event? How would the organization respond? So I think that there's a, a complex set of uh, tactics and activities that if an organization is not careful, the overarching we serve the public doesn't translate into the operational blocking and tackling to protect its citizenry. And therefore, what I think is one of the really, really the most important things um, that uh, that the government is doing is helping to raise awareness and putting a spotlight on, on a number of these issues. Uh, and that is going to, we hope, um, whether it's carrots or sticks, enable boards of directors to ask the questions regarding if governance, you know, what we are doing around the governance of our uh, critical infrastructure from a cyber perspective. Do we have appropriate controls in place? 
Are we reporting on a regular basis? Are we receiving insights from the Department of Energy or the U.S. CERT and all of the uh, organizations out there that report on cyber events? So hopefully all these things will raise awareness that will drive action within the critical infrastructure space. And what will be the impact, this colonial pipeline attack, what will be the impact on the oil and gas industry? What has happened and what will be the continuing impact on the industry? Well, I believe that this event has awakened a sleeping giant in the U.S. government to uh, on both the executive branch as well as um, the Hill in terms of that that more action is needed. Uh, at present, there is uh, there's a couple of bills that are being circulated within Congress to help ensure proper defenses of, of uh, national infrastructure, specifically of the pipelines. But I believe that while that is the immediate reaction, I think that it is clear that that it's not going to end there. Uh, I believe that it's going to continue with the electric grid, with the um, uh, 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 the infrastructure bill that the Biden administration has proposed. I believe that it's raising awareness across the industry. Uh, I think it'll it'll carry into other sectors within uh, of critical infrastructure and supply chain. Uh, I know that there are task forces being put in place to around ransomware and other areas. So while the while the initial impact to the market and the shock to the market is certainly really consuming, <laughs> uh, my, my, my real belief and, uh, and, and strong, uh, certain, you know, sh- strong hope is that this really awakens all sectors of the economy, that things are different, that what happens in the cyber world impacts the physical, physical world. And uh, as a nation and really as the world, we need to continue to heighten our defenses from cyber attacks. And you mentioned earlier, you were talking about the OT and IT environment. Does the convergence of IT and OT make it more or less vulnerable to cyber attacks? Uh, <laughs> I think that, that's, a, that's a, really, a really interesting question because uh, historically, OT environments were air gap from IT environments. And uh, I forget who said the quote, but uh, I once heard that, that, that an air gap, all an air gap is, is a low latency network, meaning that if business needs to happen, people figure out a way of connecting the environments, whether it's having a a workstation with an ethernet cable to the IT network, another ethernet cable into the OT network, or they'll have a a rogue access, or they'll put USBs in. And so I think that it's not a question of should we segment or not, it's how do we do it in a secure manner is really the key is how do we do it in it with a secure architecture? I think that the advantages to be gained by organizations, whether they're public or private sector, to be gained through digital transformation and convergence is too high to be ignored, right? Said a different way, if manufacturing plants aren't taking advantage of automation for predictive maintenance, smart factories, uh, if utility, you know, just-in-time ordering systems analyzing their inventories, if these aren't taken advantage of, any organization is not running as efficiently as they can, uh, nor are they going to have a competitive advantage against others. So that is where technology is driving every organization. So that is happening. The key is how organizations do it safely and securely with good, safe architectures in mind. Uh, And I think in the end state, we're going to see a lot of OTIT converged architectures where what's going to be really important is having virtual zones, micro-segmented environments, and what are known as zero-trust network architectures so that users can get to the assets they need to but you can prove that they are who they claim to be and that they have the rights to do that. So uh, these these principles are really important to continue building on that that have uh, started out over the past 10 years within the OT security space. And will legacy equipment be a factor? 
Well, <laughs> uh, based upon long technology obsolescence periods, ain't going away anytime soon, right? So um, look, I think that a lot of hoo-ha has been made over brownfield legacy equipment that it's not secured by design because it was built for air-gapped environments. And that's a totally, completely legit approach, right? That you have to get your brownfield problem under control to ensure that it is not compromisable and over time needs to be replaced. However, I'm here to tell you that it's not just a brownfield problem, it's a greenfield problem as well. That, and what I mean by that is, you know, just as recently as, as two weeks ago, there was a set of vulnerabilities reported uh, known as bad alec. Uh, is was what it was termed. It's, a, it's in essence a broad, broadly impacting series of vulnerabilities that a lot of uh, that are used in IoT devices. So as uh, traditional OT equipment is replaced by IIoT equipment, the TCP/IP stacks have been found to be vulnerable. They can be taken over by hackers as well. Uh, and so new technology doesn't suggest the problem goes away. It just morphs and requires different tactics. And that's why cyber continues to be this cat and mouse game. Uh, and there's no silver bullet in approaching. Help me understand and correct me if I'm wrong, okay? The fundamental issue is that data necessary for pipeline operation should not be resident on an IT network except as a backup. In other words, any attack on the IT network should never be able to affect the pipeline or facility operations or safety. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I think that's that's accurate. And I think that one of the important lessons that comes from the the events that, that, that have happened with Colonial is the importance of proper net, network segmentation. Uh, but that being said, even if you don't have data from pipeline operations on the IT network, simply to, to do business, you need to have connectivity between the IT and OT environment. Remote, because it's a pipeline and distributed, you're going to need to have remote access. And so the lessons learned from Oldsmar, um, the lessons learned from uh, so many other cyber attacks uh, suggest that it is, it is not as simple as just saying that the OT data shouldn't be in the IT environment. It's, it's a very, uh, because of the complexity of business and uh, how organizations need to take advantage of new digital transformation improvements, it is just not as simple as, as, as a one statement problem. Uh, it, it needs to be approached in a multifaceted uh, way that thinks about uh, governance, roles, responsibilities, clear ownership, strategy, technical and organizational controls are part of it. But good technical and organizational controls without everything else in place you know, is not going to make a pipeline secure. That makes sense. Now, you're talking about lessons learned, and I know you mentioned a lot of them early on. Do you want to just summarize some of them for our listeners, just kind of go over what we've learned so far, not just from these two high-profile incidents, but a lot that we don't hear about? Yeah. What I think is really clear for any asset owner operators is that you're going to have a variety of brownfield equipment that cannot be easily replaced due to technology obsolescence periods, uh, may not be patchable due to the fact, due to maintenance windows. So I think kind of the, the first lesson learned is ensuring that you know that while you you will have a infrastructure that has that has vulnerabilities and risk, it's really important that your your asset operators understand the the potential downsides and be, start to become cyber savvy because they are your first line of defense. Is I think the first lesson lesson learned. Uh, I think it's yes, it's important that there's a sock that's there to back them up as a second line of defense. But a strong first line of defense is going to be your first way of defending 
defending against an, an attack from occurring. Second is that uh, air gap is not the answer, right? Digital transformation is occurring. You need to benefit from the efficiencies to be gained from, from new emerging tech and digital transform op- uh, initiatives. But uh, the second lesson learned is it really needs to be done in a secure way. So leveraging your partners within the IT security team to uh, map out and understand uh, the right technical controls and safeguards will be really important. Third is understanding that it's a journey and, 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 and starting that cyber journey. And that cyber journey starts for most organizations by understanding the inventory of assets that you have, understanding which of those assets are vulnerable, working up purposefully and over time, it's a long game, of reducing that inherent risk of those assets, and then monitoring for threats for the residual risk that, that remains. So I think that that's kind of a, a third lesson. And I think a fourth lesson, and the one I'll probably end on, is just how important it is to, especially in a time of of the pandemic, where for safety reasons, people may not be able to get on site, or for travel reasons and distributed environments, it may not be feasible, to not just have remote access, but ensure it's secure remote access, that uh, users that have credentials to get onto the environment can't be stolen by cyber thieves, that it's done in a way where the users are who they claim to be and they only have access to the assets that they need. I think that with a combination of those lessons learned, uh, I think it's gonna be an organization can really, really improve their cyber safety. And I'll just throw in as a a final thought that uh, conducting uh, tabletop exercises are important, right? It's a, you don't necessarily need to have cyber, uh, cyber white hats in your environment to figure out all of the problems. Simply going through like, what if what happened to Colonial happened to us how would we respond? Do we have backup and recovery? Do we have a policy about whether we would pay ransomware or not? Who are the officials that we would need to talk with in the US US government? Uh, For Oldsmar, um, do we have remote access? Is it secure? Do we require multi-factor authentication? So all of these things bring together the right minds within the organization between risk and compliance, IT and OT can help understand your risk profile simply in an afternoon with a really well-planned tabletop exercise. Just for a last question here to wrap things up, is there anything that you haven't covered that you want both industrial automation professionals in general and infrastructure professionals to understand about cybersecurity? You know, the, the most important thing that I have seen from successful initiatives in OT security is that it's a recognition that it's a team sport. We, I've seen examples of IT security teams coming in and patching things or, or not realizing the potential impact to resiliency, safety for taking actions and taking, you know, uh, taking parts of a plant down doesn't make you, it doesn't exactly put you on the plant manager's uh, Christmas list. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, uh, I've seen a lot of OT engineers that are cyber resistant that say, well, we haven't, we haven't needed cyber team here for the past uh, 80 years. Why would we need you now? Right. Right. Which doesn't make any sense because tech yeah. is changing. But the, the, the examples that I've seen where organizations are most successful is it starts with an understanding of their mutual context and an understanding that in IT change is a good thing, but in OT change is a bad thing. Right. But at the fundamental level, the thing that the the uh, least common denominator for both teams is risk is is managing risk and i think so it's getting to an understanding of what we have of what the differences are what the organizations have in common 
Uh, and through that, through the shared, ex- the, the different experiences and shared initiatives and shared goals, really developing a we strategy. And I think that's where the magic happens when the organization, where it's not a political fight between IT security and, and the OT team, but really how do we win together to manage risk and mitigate risk, knowing this very lethal threat environment that we're dealing with. That's what I'd leave, the thought I'd leave you with. Yeah. Well, thank you, Grant. This is very useful information. And I appreciate you being here to help educate our listeners. Thanks for having me, Teresa. It was a lot of fun. Now, for you listeners, there's a lot of information out there about the Colonial Pipeline, as well as other cyber attacks. And it's best to find information that's kind of summarized for you so you don't have to you know, search hundreds and hundreds of sources. So check out the links in our episode description. There are links to Clarity's blogs, which are really helpful, some case studies and some other resources that'll help you out. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Teresa Hauk with The Journal Magazine. I'll talk to you later. This has been Automation Chat, and I'm Teresa Hauk. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review on your podcast app. And tell your peers about us. You can even hit the share symbol to share your favorite episode. And don't forget, video of this podcast is available on our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash T-J-R-A YouTube. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat again soon.